Blog Talk Radio. young man talks about is just so real and he puts it in a way that you know that just anybody who reads his material would will get it you know they just get it you know and in the, the information that he gives us in his material is just it well I'll tell you like this for one it's controversial but at the same time it's exactly what we need to hear and I think that's why he makes such a, you know, he he's such a great author and he's such a great speaker, because what he writes about and what he talks about it, it definitely comes from his heart and his soul, and so I I know that everyone tonight that are listening, and the folks that are listening in later on, will definitely be blessed by his words. Yes, yes, yes. You're right, Brian. You're absolutely right. You know what, and. Uh, He's doing some things that a lot of men won't talk about. You know, when we grew up, Brian, we grew up in a world that said that you're tough, that that you don't cry, that you have to be a man to do this, and a real man would do that. But, Brian, he's going into the soul of his own man. Mm-hmm. And he's letting you in, and he's talking about some things, and he's being transparent. And, Brian, by the end of this show, I guarantee you, a lot of these people that are listening, they're going to order this book. They're going to get his book. And we're going to let him talk about the book. I'm not going to say the title of the book. We're going to let him tell everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I want to go ahead and bring him in because, like I said, you know, I want to hear from this young man. I want to hear what he has to say because I know that – I tell you what, sometimes I get a little tongue-tied when I get excited, and I'm tell you, I'm excited to bring him on, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce him. Uh, tonight's topic is Soul of a Man, and our guest tonight is Mr. Maurice M. Gray, Jr., who's an author, an editor, a counselor, a speaker, and a comedian. Ha-ha. He's the author of now three novels, uh, one being To Whom Much is Given, and the other is all things are blood, all things work together, as well as another uh, book called Traveling Mercy, which is a short story in the a Blessed Assurance Anthology, and he'll tell you a little bit about that as well. He's also a co-author of Livingston Lee's I Really Didn't Mean to Get HIV, mm. and he's the author of Soul of a Man, and when I tell you, when y'all hear what this brother has to say about the soul of a man, y'all are going to be like, wow, okay. <laughs> All right, so we want to bring him on. We welcome you to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Mr. Gray. Hello? Hey, Mr. Gray, how are you? Good. <laughs> this is Greg. Thank you so much for agreeing to come back on the show and bless everybody. Oh, you're welcome. I'm yeah, kind of sitting yeah. there wondering, now, who are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about you. 
tell us tell us about your book and tell us why you decided to be transparent and, and share your story and share uh, Maurice Gray to the world. Well, this latest effort, it's an anthology called The Soul of a Man. I'm a contributor to that along with 13 other brothers, I and mean, I'm just blown away by what we've been able to do in such a short time with this anthology. Some of us have written short stories, some of us have written poetry, there's essays in there, and it really isn't just me. It's 14 men being transparent about what is really important to us and issues that drive us or things that are just important to us. What we're really trying to do with this is to kill some of those negative stereotypes that you hear about black men, all that stuff you see on the news. Well, nobody else can be said to do the opposite of that. We 14 are trying to make a point with this anthology. Wow. Now, you said there's 14 other men that are contributing to this. Now, normally, and, and, you know, this may sound very stereotypical, and I'm saying it like that just to be a little stereotypical here, but most of the time you get 14 men together, that's usually a football squad with a couple subs. So how did you, you know what I mean? So how did you, especially when we talk about African-American men, you know, it's very rare that you would get a lot of African-American men together to focus on something literary. Hmm. Oh, how did you do it, brother? Well, I found out about this anthology online. I'm part of a few different online groups, and I saw this message from Peace in the Storm Publishing. And the publisher, the owner of that group said that he wanted to have a men's anthology. Like they put the call out there, and they, for different reasons, all of us decided to sign on. I decided to sign on because I've had great success so far working with other authors. I've never had some of the problems that I've heard other authors complain about, that, people, that when they try to work with other authors, they sometimes experience pettiness or people being competitive or things like that. I've always had success working with other authors, so I figured why not do that again? I couldn't resist being part of a men's anthology because I know that black men have a lot to say. Now, I was just curious to find out what everybody else had to say because I know what I'm capable of writing. The next thing you know, we all we all made our submissions. The next thing you know, we got this book together. You know, it, it's funny when when people see the title of this book. A lot of women, not all of them now. A lot of women are saying, "Wow, I, I, I wonder if this book is going to give me the answer that I'm looking for with my man or my husband. <laughs> is, is this going to give me the insight of why he don't talk and why he don't say certain things?" Uh, is this the type of is this the kind of book that will will help women to understand uh, how uh, men think? I believe it will. I mean, it's not going to give every answer to every situation. It's not a miracle book, but it does give a unique insight into the way we fourteen view things. What things concern us the most? How do we look at relationships? And what really drives us deep down? And everybody had to get a little deep with this, whether we wrote fiction or nonfiction. Everybody had to give up some part of themselves for their entry to make, to make this book what it is so far. Hmm. And, you know, the first thing I thought about, you know, when I saw Soul of a Man, you know, I thought, wow, what a great way to bring the information. Because when you talk about somebody's soul, that you know, you have to be, you can't really see a soul, but you can see a soul. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. That's another thing that really caught my attention it was when they, they told me that was going to be the title. I'm like, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> you see? And so, you know, with that, it made me really step back and say, wow, what would I speak? What? How would my soul speak? And so because of, you know, that title, I, I like the way that, that they put the title on, and I love the fact that you have a whole lot of other men, different perspectives, you know, because you got different souls out there. you got different ways of thinking. You know, I, my wife and I always go back and forth about the East Coast versus the West Coast way of thinking. You know, she's from not necessarily the West Coast, but she's from Texas, so that's that's way on the other side of the, of the ocean to me <laughs> as far as the way of thinking. You know, there's a way that, 
and a methodology that they use and a way of thinking that's different from where I came from. So the fact that you have, you know, these 14 gentlemen from different and various backgrounds and they're all sharing pieces of their soul, you know, I truly believe that it will help a lot of people understand, you know, the soul of a man. Definitely. That's exactly what we're shooting for. We've got men spread out across the country. I mean, I'm in Delaware. I think the farthest away is in Seattle, and we've got all in between. Hmm. Well, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, with the the alarming divorce rate and the alarming uh, way that women outnumber men in the church, mm-hmm. I know I know you see this all the time. And I yeah. think one of the things that women want, they want a, a God-fearing man. They want a man that's in the church and active. They want to see that. And a lot of men, for some reason, they don't they don't trust the church. They don't they're they're not uh, like the women in the church and focusing on what's. I'm not gonna say they're not focusing in on what's most important, but they the, the trust level of things that are going on in the church. A lot of men they 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 have a short fuse for that. You understand what I'm saying? So a lot of them tend not to go. And, the, and a lot of women, we, we hear them say, I, I just pray that my husband could go to church or stay in church or, or be active in Sunday school or just take some role in the church. Do, do you do you see this happening a lot? Yes, I do. I mean, I'm blessed to go to a church where we have a fairly decent amount of men, but even so, there are plenty of women in the congregation who come to church every Sunday, praying that their husbands will come with them next Sunday. And it's just, I, I don't know where that started up, it's just the way it is. But there's too many, you're right, there's too many men who don't have any reason to trust the church. Maybe they had a bad experience with it when they were young. Maybe it was just a thing where their mama dragged them to church every Sunday and they swore that as soon as they got old enough, they'd never go again, and they kept that promise. I don't know what exactly it is for each individual man, but there are way too many men who just aren't involved in, in the church for whatever reason they have. It's really sad. It's really alarming. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. You know, I... I would think that a lot of times you have, because there are so many, you know, and again, I'm not trying to sound chauvinistic, but I think a lot of times because there are so many, so few men in church, that because you have a lot of women in leadership positions at church, that men don't want to be told what to do because, you know what I mean? Hmm, that could be part of the problem, yeah. Some of us just can't deal with that. You know, and and I think that I think that causes men not to want to go because you know they've already been told what to do all their lives. You know, if you couple that in with the single parent issues, with men being raised by their mothers when they get a certain age, you know, they don't know how to be, you know, men unless they see other men. So when they get into a situation where they see other women in leadership, they think it's the same old deal. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's just some men just can't deal with a woman being an authority. I don't know. I don't know why. It just it just is like that. Maybe it could be in some cases a man is not having a good relationship with his own mother, and he's resenting any woman in authority because of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You know, I I I think too that uh, a lot of men really really don't know how to express themselves. Because they were always taught to keep your feelings inside, a, a lot of us. And the communication, I think, when it when it comes to a black man and, and a black woman, a lot of people, the first thing that they think is it being hostile all the time and confrontational all the time. And that's not always true. And it's a funny thing now that we have an African-American president. I hear a lot of people saying that, oh, my goodness, look how he treats his wife. I'm just shocked. How can you be, why should people be shocked to see uh, an African-American brother expressing love to his wife or the mother of his children? Hmm. That kind of shows you how turned around we've gotten over the years. It should be the most natural thing in the world Mm -hmm. for every black man to be like Barack Obama is with his wife, but 
tragically enough, people just don't see it that way. They expect a black man to either not be there at all or to be kind of there or be abusive or be drinking all the time or all those other negative stereotypes. That's more of what people expect than what we're seeing from the White House. I'm glad to see it at the highest level because maybe now some, some of the quote-unquote regular brothers will start getting a clue that maybe I, maybe I should be treating the women in my life a little bit better. Maybe I should stop, stop being engaged stop being engaged or dating for like 20 years and go ahead and marry this woman. And mm-hmm. like doesn't treat his wife. That's another whole show. Boy, you're talking <laughs> to somebody now. <laughs> well, what do you know, Mr. Gray? What, what, where, do, where would you like this book to go? I mean, what is the, what is the main goal of um, 14 guys uh, collaborating together writing this book? What is the main goal? We want this to get as far as possible. And one thing that's really pushed us out of the gate is that Borders has accepted this book for national distribution, which means all their stores are carrying it. That's a big step in the right direction. Because normally, if you're just getting started off with a book, that Borders, well, they might make it available to be ordered if somebody walks in the store and order it. But there's a big difference between that and then actually stocking it on their shelves. That and welcoming us to come to various Borders across the country and they can have signings and promote it that way. We're at the beginning stages now of a national tour. We just did a couple of events in Atlanta over this weekend, and the one at the borders that was in Lithonia, Georgia, was amazing. The support was unprecedented. I can't tell you how many books we sold. I just know it was a lot. And that's the kind of support we're seeing so far, and that's what we really hope to see as we keep this thing moving. I mean, more and more signings are popping up like all the time. We've got them in Pennsylvania. There's some planned for Texas. I've heard North Carolina thrown out there, and there's other states where we're looking to get in as well. So we want this to go as far as possible. I would love to see us eventually get a get some kind of an event in every state before the before the momentum dies down for this. Why even stop there? Why not movies? Dang. <laughs> I mean, because you know, to be honest, I can see a story like this being like a miniseries. Mm-hmm. You know, because, work. you know, because something that's that's actually positive, you know, that's talking about, you know, African-American men and the fact that we do have a soul. You know, it's been mm-hmm. said that most black men act like they don't even have a soul. You know, they mm-hmm. act as if there's, there's nothing. They fear nothing. They they want nothing. They love nothing. They like nothing. You know, I mean, it, it's we've been we've been branded as being cold and calculated and unappreciative and unloving and uncaring. So the fact that we could have something like a book called the soul of a man where we can show people, not that we have to prove, have anything to prove, but the fact that we can show people that we do experience, you know, the same things that other people from other races experience. We do love, we do care. We do show affection. We do have feelings. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Really, that's the main focus. What we're trying to do with this, we just want people to see that there's more black men than what they see in the in the news. There's more to us than just the portrayal you see of, of a bunch of thugs or a bunch of baby daddies who may or may not be paying their support. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, even just looking from the if I was looking from the outside, I would have to say there's got to be more to them than this. Surely this can't be all of what black men are about. Right. And, and, and Mr. Gray, how much of it is uh, black men or African Americans? How much of it is our fault? Not so much all of the things that we don't do, but the things that when we don't allow uh, a woman to get close to us. Mm. We 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 clam down and we don't really talk and express our feelings because we've always been taught that when you do that, when you express your feelings, it's a sign of weakness. And a lot of men are absolutely afraid to just buy, you know, to to go all out and and, and let the woman know exactly how he feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That there's a to a large to a great extent, I would say there's a lot that we as African-American men are doing that is just making things worse. I mean, it's not the easy, it's easy to say, but hard to do. I, mean, I struggle with it in my own self. 
but we have got to get to a place where we're not so deathly afraid to let our feelings show. I mean, because every time we put that wall up, then that's going to cause an African-American woman to put her own wall up even thicker than it might already be, and it's just going to keep going. We're never really going to get that full level of trust that we need to have. So somebody's got to make the first move, and I would have to step out on a limb and say that African-American women have done it long enough. It's time for us to take a step in the right direction ourselves. And we, and we can't expect, suddenly expect the women to always expect the women to try to carry the load and making things right. There's got to be a point where we step up as well. And part of stepping up, I mean, yeah, we can have marches and we can have, we can do this, we can do that, but you also have to do the simple things, like just opening up. I mean, mm. if you kept, if you if you expect this woman to stay with you, then show her something, show her something, at least a part of you. If not, if you can't open up, then you're, it's just not going to work out. But what, what and about we are that? famous for not doing that. Yeah, but what about that brother that's been burnt? And, and he's afraid, and he don't want to open up anymore. And and he's just on this war path of just going through as many women as he can. And, and opening up is just not an you know that's not an option for for some of for some men. Hmm. I know what you mean. I, I, you know, I I've had that mindset. You know, I I've been burnt, and, I, and I've had that mindset. You know what? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. Shame on you, fool me twice, the shame on me. I'm never letting this happen again. You know, I felt that mindset, and it is not the easiest thing in the world to shake once you get there. But the only thing I can think of that's really going to shake a mindset like that is sooner or later you've got to start learning how to trust. And at the most basic level, the first trust you have to establish is trusting in God. A lot of times something bad happens, first thing we'll do is, oh, God wasn't there for me. I'm turning my back on him too. If we can get that basic trust in God, which is something that no matter what African Americans have always been able to do, if we can establish or reestablish or maintain or whatever it has to be, that basic trust, then the rest of it can eventually come through. I'm not saying it's going to be easy because you said it well. Once the brother's been burned, it is difficult to get that brother to open back up again. That's like if somebody punches you in the face. And what do you go, is it? And they expect you to, to, to approach them again with your arms open instead of instead of your arms up to prevent another punch. <laughs> We're not wired to do that, so it, it does take a lot for us to be able to drop those defenses once we've been hurt. Amen. I I can agree to that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and and that goes both ways actually with women the same way when when men have treated women in an indifferent way. It's mm-hmm. hard, harder for women to actually be, you know, be open with a man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially when a man begins to open up and that woman has been burned before by a man who she mm-hmm. may have opened up to, she may not, she may feel like he's not a man because mm. what she's used to is that man being hard and cold and calculated, and now she's gotten one to finally open up, and it may be like, she may be like, wait a minute. He may not be the right one if he's opening up now. You know, so, so what we have now is a huge dilemma. Yeah. Because, you know, because we want our men to be real men, but we've already given this skewed definition of what a real man is, so now our women don't really know what, when they say they want a real man, they're using the definition that's been given versus the definition, uh, versus the true definition. So now they're being duped. Because yeah. they think they got a real man because that real man is hard and tough and rough and tumble, you know, versus the man that may be the real man who is not only hard, rough, and tumble, but also soft, gentle, and caring. Hmm. Yeah, I've had that conversation with a lot of different women. I mean, I've talked with my sister about things like this. I've talked with female friends, that the ones who weren't romantically interested in me, so that so that's an important distinction because they felt they could trust me enough to have that kind of conversation because there was no interest. And one mm-hmm. thing I have found out is all, through all these different conversations is what you said is really accurate. You know, a lot of women have been burned, probably maybe even more than men have been burned. A lot of women have been burned by dealing with the wrong man. And then if a nice man comes up, 
she'll start wondering, what's wrong with him? Like, I'll give you an example. He ain't pressuring me for sex. He must be gay. But then again, never mind the fact that this woman does not want a man who's going to pressure her for sex all the time. But when one comes up who doesn't, she starts questioning, what's wrong with him? Why isn't, why isn't he trying this? This is what I'm used to. She's right about that. <laughs> Once the behavior pattern's been established, and then all of a sudden somebody comes up who doesn't fit that mold, it, it throws somebody into confusion. You know, I've talked to a lot of women and said it took them a few years to really get past that, understanding that there is something better out there and recognizing when a man really is nicer and kinder and gentler or when, or when he's just faking that as part of his game. Right. Have you noticed, Mr. Gray, that a, a lot of men, a lot of our men, they just seem like they're angry about something. They're just hmm. they're, they're angry. They they have this this I don't know what it is, but uh, I, I'm sure as you you know you you're going throughout your day, you, you kind of see this pattern of just men being angry just for no reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah. And I used to hear all the time when I was a little boy. Uh, my grandfather used to always tell me he he said that uh, anger starts when your knowledge stops. Because a lot of times they don't know how to deal with something, and they become really, really angry. And mm-hmm. uh, as married men, you all know what I mean. It, it, it could be anything that can push your buttons. And, mm-hmm. um, but not knowing how to deal with the situation, that's when that anger, that's when that thing comes in. Because a lot of times they're thinking, why is she attacking me? Mm. But why is it that you're ignoring her? Why is it that you're doing these things, but when she brings it to you, uh, it, it, it becomes a big argument? Mm-hmm. At, at what point uh, does communication and teaching um, men, when does that come in? When should the church or uh, communities get together, just men get together and, and, and learn these things and learn how to deal with um, issues at home? It's important that it, ha- it has to happen. I mean, wherever you, you're going to be around the most men, those places need to just have these kind of forms. Just give some time for men to sit around and talk. Normally, it's like you said earlier, it strikes home. When you got a whole bunch of men hanging around together, it's a stereotypically either you know, a bunch of people sitting around drinking or sitting around watching sports or sitting around drinking and watching sports. You don't have enough men sitting around just talking about the things that are important. One thing we have at my church now that I really enjoy is we have we have a men's Bible study every other Saturday, and this isn't it. This is what most men would probably think of as a Bible study. I was there struggling to stay awake, but somebody definitely reads me as a Bible. I couldn't understand when I was a kid, and I don't understand now. So what we do is we go through Scripture, but we have discussions that will impact our lives. I mean, this group is top heavy with married men, of course. So single guys like me get a good perspective. On what, on what these married men are going through, that it isn't all wine and roses just because they found somebody. They have the same kinds of struggles that we do, and it's good to hear from them, get their feedback on how their lives are going. Sometimes men will have a serious problem. They'll put that problem on the table. The rest of us will see if we can help them come up with a solution. Basically, we're mentoring each other, no matter what the age happens to be. I mean, there's a lot that, that we can learn from each other, whatever the age happens to be. That's so awesome. That's awesome. You know what? I, I was just thinking that and um, a, a lot of our men that are engaged to be married, a lot mm-hmm. of them, they don't have a clue what they're about to walk into. Mm-hmm. They, uh, and, and I'm not being, I'm not saying it to be mean, but it's a whole different ball game when you become one. A lot of things that you used to do, you can't do anymore. And and a lot of them are going to find out, okay, wait a minute, this is real. This is serious. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it's very serious, and you can't just walk away. It's not mm. that simple. But, Mr. Gray, our lines are just lit up. We have a lot of people on right now, and I think Brian okay. wants to go to uh, one of the callers. Okay. Yes, I do. I want to go to the caller in the 786 area code. Hello. Caller, you're on live with the Abundant Solutions Hour. Hello, how are you doing? This is Alvin C. Romer. I'm Alvin. Contrib- Alvin C. Romer, R-O-M-E-R. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for calling. I'm another contributor to the book. Oh, okay. ah. and, and I, I just want to piggyback on the loquacious and eloquent Maurice M. Gray Jr. <laughs> <laughs> That's him. <laughs> I hear he is really holding court there, okay? <laughs> Kudos to you, Mr. Gray. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. Very good. I'm glad to hear that. Very lively show that you guys have here. And I've been listening to your comments and and commentation there. And, you know, we have a subject here that, that's prevalent and, and needed in the diaspora that we live in as men of color. Um, I just feel that um, with the genesis of the book and what we have to say, it's truly apropos for what needs to be done. And, you know, my two contributions in the book um, defines that well, I think. Good. Awesome. 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 Thanks for calling in. But Thank you. you. Caller, let me ask you this. When you were asked to be a part of this book, what were your thoughts? You're writing with 13 other mighty, mighty men. What were your thoughts? Well, my thoughts, and I hearken back to your depiction earlier. You say it's like a football team with us, right? <laughs> 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 but unlike a football team, you know, you have one quarterback with the ball, he directs the, the whole action. Well, you have 14 men that has something to say, and we're very eloquent in what we say and why we're saying what we say, okay? But when I got the first reaction about when this book was going to come to fruition, I was chomping at the bit because I had been writing about things like this all along. And then when the publisher gave me a director and said, you need to be part of this effort, well, that's all I needed. I took that ball from the quarterback and ran with it. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. awesome. That's so awesome. awesome. I just love the fact that uh, that you guys are doing what you're doing and you're teaching and you're serving. That's that's so important. But thank you so much, Carla, for calling in. And uh, we, we definitely are going to do everything that we can to push the book, to tell people to go out and buy it. Because uh, you just never know what's in this book that may save someone's life or save a marriage or just just touch someone's heart to change and uh, and go the right way. Well, I want to thank you for having me on and taking a call. And I'm, you know, having Maurice Gray being the point man for us right now couldn't be a better person. Okay, yeah. I know he's going to continue to bring it home and the, let the audience be aware that men do need to step up, and we will. Yes, mm-hmm. we will. Amen. <laughs> All right. Well, we thank you so much for calling in. Thank you so much, sir. All right. We uh, let's go to another caller. Let's go to the caller in the three hundred two area code. Caller, you're on live with the Abundant Solutions Hour. Three hundred two. All right. They may just be listening in, and that's just. Fine. You know, I want to get uh, back to, and I love the way he just took my analogy and and just and flipped it. That was wonderful. But I want to get back to what he talked about. How he said you all uh, had just took the ball and ran with it. You know, do you think, uh, Mr. Gray, that this effort will build into something much larger? Hmm. I certainly hope so. I mean, right now, just to look at it, it's just a book project, but it could be a whole lot more. I mean, one of the things that I know I would like to do, I mean, each of us is doing different promotional efforts. I mean, we're, we're coordinating with each other, of course, but each of us as people we can reach with this book and the target, targeted groups that we'd like to get to. You know, I know we've had a few people come up to us already at some of our signings asking if, any of us will be available to come and speak to their boys' groups or their men's groups. And that's something we, like, I know we would definitely like to do. This book was, the, I would love to get this book in the hands of as many young African-American men as possible, to give them something to, to strive for besides stereotypical stuff. I want them to see beyond like, having to be in a gang, beyond athletics is the only possible way that they can make something out of themselves. I just want them to see something different. I, right. say, I, I don't want black young black boys to be afraid to dream. Ooh, yes. Mm. Yeah. You know, wow. I want to I want to jump on that one because 
you know, Greg and I, we go around and we talk to a lot of young youth groups, especially uh, African-American young men, and a lot of them have these dreams of being rappers mm-hmm. or ball players, and that's it. It seems like their dreams have already been defined, but they're limited. You know, it's almost it's almost as if they don't know that they can dream about being an archaeologist or mm-hmm. a doctor or a paleontologist or something like that. You know, they they their dreams are so limited now. Well, I'll say that they were so limited, and it's like now that we have an African American president, you hear people talking about I want to be president. You know, it's almost as if okay, we have one person that decided that they were going to go against what everybody else thought was the norm. And now that that person succeeded, everybody behind him said, I can do it too, I can do it too. Now, we all take the same approach in our everyday lives that our president did when he decided he was going to run for president. You know, I think we can affect a great amount of change. You know, this word change has been thrown around a lot. But just imagine if we can change the minds of young black men to where the, instead of wanting to be a football player or a basketball player, that I, they say from a young age, I want to be the police chief or I want to be a circuit court judge or I want to be the mayor or the governor, you know, or an ambassador, you know, things where people see you and they have a greater amount of respect for you you know, not that I have any disrespect for anyone, but I tend to have a little more respect for a doctor or a lawyer than a rapper. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think if we get our kids thinking in the mindset of, you know, you can respect the doctor because right now they don't respect them. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't respect doctors. They think doctors look through their noses at people. And most of them, you know, I won't say most, I'll say some do. You know, but do you believe that if we can change one mind, well, I I, I won't even ask that question because I think I already know the answer. Of course, if we could change one person's mind, that one person can definitely change another mind. You know, but how would it feel, how would you feel if maybe by this time next year, your book was the catalyst to change, let's say, a hundred lives, that would be incredible. Because I mean, all we can hope for is that it will touch at least one person that reads it. But a hundred, I would love it. I would love it to see it touch more. But I mean, it's just great when when you're writing something that has some kind of meaning and you find out that it actually has had an effect on someone. And every now and then, like, I'll get that email from somebody who's read one of my books and say, oh, I think it's great. I don't see enough men writing to keep up the good work. And I feel good about that because that means that somebody out there is paying attention to what I'm doing and that I'm carrying myself in some kind of way that they actually can appreciate what I'm trying to do. And I would definitely hope that the soul of a man does touch somebody. If it touches like a... It's like a a boy who's trying to figure out what he wants to do for the rest of his life or a man who's kind of at loose ends and trying to figure out could he be more than what he is or maybe a woman who's getting disillusioned about the man that she's running across and wants to see something better. If this book can touch somebody like that, I'll be happy. I noticed that you said you start off your uh, day with the 15 minutes of prayer. Tell me, how has prayer, what what impact has prayer had on your life? It's had a huge impact. I mean, I can remember times more recently that I really cared to admit that I wasn't praying like I really should. I mean, I can always see a difference when I'm actually reaching out to God and better yet, taking time out to listen to what he might have to say than when I'm not doing it. I mean, if I get into a rush, I'm like, okay, i got to hurry up, i got to get out the door, i got to get to work, I put any time in at all. They, they they reaching out to God, listening, saying what I have to say. If I don't do that, I don't know what will hurt. So, like I mentioned before, that's the most basic relationship we have is 
the relationship between us and God. If we neglect that, we don't have anything. Right. Mm. Right. And so, and the reason I ask you that, I, I, I just want um, men to understand how powerful it is. Uh, when I was growing mm-hmm. up, I used to see my mom praying morning and night. I would see it. it. It wasn't unusual to see that. And as I got older, I started seeing my father do the same thing. Uh, but I, I really believe that prayer is such a powerful, powerful thing. But a lot of us don't use it because when we pray, we look for an answer uh, to our problem immediately. We want that thing going right now. <laughs> And sometimes that thing that we're going through is the thing that will propel you into your greatness. But we want mm-hmm. to cut it short. We want a shortcut to it. We don't like being uncomfortable. And, and I was reading about you, and, and, and it, some people may laugh, but I was reading about your friend and the grits. I'll let you tell them about that, but uh, about the grits. And, and it's just those type of experiences and you being transparent and, and telling people, about your life and the things that you went through uh, to try to curb others from doing and walking in those same steps. But if you would, mm-hmm. tell us about your friend in the grits. Okay, actually, the, that's from my from my contribution to the soul of a man long term. It's actually a short story, but I did put a lot of real experiences in that. And the, like the grits thing, yeah, that is from, from, a, from a real experience. I remember a while back, one of my friends got a little bit trifling, Thought he could play one woman against the other ones. Okay, this one will never find out. This, this is my main one, but she'll never find out about this other one. She found out that he was messing around, and like I, and the way I put it in the book was that she served him breakfast in bed in a unique fashion, namely by throwing hot grits on him. <laughs> wow. I mean, that, I mean, I mean, that hurt me just when I heard about it. I'm like, Ooh. yeah, that 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 right there just sent a little chill through my bones there. <laughs> the thing is, when you're a writer, I'm like, oh, like I felt bad for the brothers. Like, once, once our family's gonna be all right, I'm like, oh, okay. It was already tickling in the back of my mind. But I'm gonna write about that at some point. I just don't know how. I'm not gonna use the brother's name. <laughs> I won't do that to him. But, but when you hear about something like that, or worse, if it happens to you, you gotta write about it if you're creative. Yeah. So, yeah. And this, this is how it happened. It fit into this particular story that I wanted to do. <laughs> my main character is a, is a transitioning from. Having been lived rather a trifling existence, and now he's saved. Now he's he's gotten from less of a of a transitory existence, and now he wants to be more steady and dependable. And I called the story long term because I wanted to make a point because I got that story from when I used to work temp jobs. I mean, there was a period of three years back in the nineties where I just couldn't get a permanent job. I was working temp, and I noticed that a lot of people enjoyed working through a temp agency because that was their personality. They were all about the short term. They didn't mind if they worked a job that only lasted a week or two weeks or a month because then they're moving on to the next one. And unfortunately, they would take the same approach with their relationships, hit and run. Okay, I'm tired of her. I've been with her two whole weeks. Next. So a lot of people who worked temp with me, I noticed they had, they worked temp because they liked it and because it fit their, their personality. And I was seeing a lot of people just getting involved for the short term and not wanting to hang in, not wanting to be part of anything better. And it just, that just kind of stuck with me. I, I, once I got to writing, I was thinking, one of these days I'm going to have to revisit those temp days and see if I can come up with a story. That's where this story came from, long term. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to show what I learned from my time doing that. This particular character he, he was one of those transitory personalities back in the day, worked his temp jobs, had his temp relationships, went through a whole bunch of women, and then by the time this story picks up, he's grown out of that. He's, he's gotten gotten saved. He's got a full-time job. And ironically now, his job requires him to oversee the temporary employees for this particular company. Uh-huh. So now he's seeing it from the other side. Uh-huh. And the story is him coming to grips with being a long-term person now. And then having to deal with some of the fallout from his past, one of his one of the employees who's under his who's under his supervision is one of the women that he like, that he messed with back in the day. Wow! <laughs> Thanks for a fun you... work day. Wow, that 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 that's a tough one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but I tell you what, it, the the fact that 
the, you know, the, the way you, you wrote this, there is a beautiful ending, and it's not so much just about the characters. Uh-huh. You can see that God is getting the glory all the way through this. Mm-hmm. All the way through this, and there's a really, really powerful message to all of your writings. Uh, does that come from long-suffering, uh, nights of tears, uh, uh, maybe doing people wrong, and, and you learn from that? Um, basically, what is it that's giving you the fuel to continue uh, to write the way that you write, your style? Hmm. I'd say it is my life experiences. I mean, despite what people might think, I haven't lived like that as somewhat crazy and wild a life as I guess some other guys I know, but I've had my ups and downs, and I've had times where I knew I was doing the wrong thing, didn't care. I've had times when I I guess I could say I was borderline depressed about stuff. I've had times I've really fell on top of the world. All of that combines when you're writing. And when you write, you, you really have to go deep. You have to draw something out of the deepest part of yourself to put any any kind of story together, whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction. So I guess anything I write is going to be the sum of my experiences in some way or the other. Now, I have a pretty good imagination. So if there's something I've never experienced, if I know somebody who's experienced, I'm, I think I've found a way to, to put it in, on paper in such a way that people might think I've actually been through it. And I've had a lot of people ask me, is that character you? Is that character you? I, so far, I have not yet put a character in a book who is like really, really, really a lot like me. Now, I'll put bits and pieces of me in there, but I haven't really just taken me and slapped me into a book yet. I may never do that, but never know. I might do that. There's some characters who might need more of me than others. But, yeah, when I write from my experiences, like ups, downs, good times, bad times. If you can't put any of your, your heart into your writing, it's not going to get too far. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the other things that you have going on. Um, just from going through your biography, it says here that you're a, a counselor and a mm. speaker and a comedian. Tell us a little bit about what type of counseling. I know what you do, but tell yeah. our listeners, you know, the type of counseling you do. Yeah, well, I do. I'm, my job title is HIV prevention counselor. I work for a nonprofit organization called Beautiful Gate Outreach Center in Wilmington, Delaware. What I do is I basically get people ready to take an HIV test. Mm-hmm. What that entails is when somebody comes in for the test, we don't just stick their finger, take their, let the test run, and give them the results, and they're on their way. We like to educate people about HIV and AIDS so they're not coming back to us three months later wanting another test because they're afraid they might have, might have been exposed all over again. So my job is to make sure that that person, well, one, is ready to take the test. I have to be able to figure out some talking to them, okay, what's their state of mind? Are they ready to hear their test result, whether it's negative or whether it's positive? Or is, it, is this person on anything? If they've been drinking or if they're visibly high, I can't test them. Mm-hmm. So we have to be able to make that distinction as well. So basically, it just takes some people skills, which, frankly, I never knew I had until mm-hmm. I started doing this work. None of, the, none of my education prepared me for counseling. I was an English major. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to be a writer. Counseling was never on my radar screen. But I got into this because of the book you'd mentioned earlier, I Really Didn't Mean to Get HIV by Livingston Lee. He approached me, the fellow church member, he approached me about writing his story. So he, he felt led by God that he had to get his story out, but how he became infected and he wanted to let people know that you, you don't have to, to a place where I am, but he didn't know how to write the book, and he wanted to do. He went to our pastor about it, and I just finished talking to the pastor about the book I was writing, which turned out to be my first one, to whom I should give him. So the pastor put the two of us together. Next thing I know, I sat down with Brother Livingston for maybe five minutes, and five-minute five conversation, I was convinced I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to have to help him with this book and help him get it published same way as I self-published my own. And just from that, not only did we get his book together, but it also got me encouraged to jump in into the fight against HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. I knew it was out there. I knew what it could do to people, but it really didn't have a face for me. And even after I lost an uncle to it, it still didn't really, it wasn't really real to me. Until I sat down and talked to Livingston, looked him in the face, and he told me exactly what had happened to him and how he'd become HIV positive and what it meant to him. That made it real for me, and I got involved in our church's 
AIDS Task Force. And then when the beautiful Gate Outreach Center formed out of, out of the AIDS Task Force, and they, I, I found that they needed people to help out, I was thinking, okay, yeah, I can, I can work with them. I thought I was going to get in there and do some office work or something like that. Next thing I know, I heard they needed people to train as counselors. Last thing I ever expected I would do, but next thing I know, I'm sitting in counselor training. That was six years ago. I'm still doing it. Mm-hmm. Serving, serving, serving. Wow. You know what's funny, Mr. Gray? You would, you would be surprised just how close your story is to what I do. Really? <laughs> because my story is so similar that it, it, I'm just over here all smiles. You know, I actually got involved with HIV, and um, I'm a a, uh, certified counselor tester. Mm. And I got involved because I had a family member who was positive. Actually, I had quite a few family members who were positive. I have some that are living with it now and some who have passed on. Mm -hmm. And I got involved um, actually at a young age. I was actually the... You know, the one person in the family who would always tell people, make sure you got a condom, make sure you got a condom. (laughs) And so I got into prevention early, you know, like right out of high school. Wow. And it progressed on to, you know, basically going out, talking to youth groups. And, you know, it's a a huge amount of what I do now as an abstinence education counselor, you know, and an HIV prevention specialist. You know, so it's like, wow. (laughs) You know, it, our, our paths are very, very similar. And I actually started out uh, working with a focus group that mm-hmm. became a nonprofit organization that my mother-in-law now is the executive director of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, and I work with her. Um, whenever there's funding, I work with her on a funded basis to do abstinence education um, because I progress, uh, you know, I believe that abstinence, is the key to HIV prevention. I agree. <laughs> a lot so of people I, don't see it that way, but yeah. Yeah. You know, well, and, and, the, and the reason I take that approach is because I know that, you know, one of the ways that's transmitted, you know, people talk about intravenous drug use and, mm-hmm. you know, medical errors and all that stuff. No, we know how they're getting it. <laughs> and so if we exactly. educate them from the beginning of what, you know, the true purpose of why you know you should wait, you know. Mm-hmm. Then we then we 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 kill two birds with one stone. Exactly. You know. But yeah, it was just funny just listening to to your your story. I'm like, wow, he sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mr. Gray, I have a a really good friend of mine who's listening to the show right now, and she's she loves to write poems and she loves to write. How could someone uh, like her that's new uh, coming into the publishing uh, field, what are your suggestions for a lot of the young writers that are coming in now? Hmm. My best suggestion is, if you're, if you're new, first of all, just find some kind of time to write every day. Whatever it is that you like to write, carve out some time for Even if you only got five minutes, at the end of the day or five minutes first thing in the morning or a couple of minutes of your lunch, just getting in the habit of writing every day. Then when it comes to actually getting something published, I would say explore all of your options and find somebody who has been who has been published one way or the other, say, bend their ear, find out what it is that just pick their brain, find out what it is that they know about the process. I mean, for me, I know a lot more about self-publishing than I do about being getting a traditional publishing contract. It, so if somebody's interested in self-publishing, then you'd want to say, I'm the kind of person you'd want to talk to because I can walk you through the process. I can explain what has to happen. I can explain the advantages and the disadvantages, things like that that you would need to know if, you, if you wanna, you're thinking about jumping in. When it comes to poetry, I particularly advise people who are writing poetry that unless your name is Sonia Sanchez or Maya Angelou, your best bet is self-publishing because, because a lot of – Poetry is just not getting the respect it deserves. And if you're going to do a poetry book, your best bet is to do it yourself, to self-publish the book. It doesn't have to break your your bank account to do it. And then when you're out, if you're performing, if you're a spoken word artist in particular, if you've got the book with you while you're doing it at your event, then you've got a platform to sell your books from. That's, that's where self-publishing really comes in handy. 
that's awesome. And and I and I'm sure that when you went into the business, um, I don't know if you were blind when you went in, and but a lot of people want to write so badly, and they want that book so badly that they sign away so much, and they wind up getting nothing for the book, and it's pretty much they're being held hostage, and the company's getting all of the funds. Yes, that's something I try to warn people about. Whenever I'm, if I, I'm on the faculty for some writers' conferences, and just if I'm talking to somebody in general, if they ask me about the first thing I, I want to make sure people know about self-publishing is to be careful. There are a lot of companies out there who represent themselves as publishers who want to help you self-publish your book. They're, they, those companies aren't necessarily publishers. What you're looking for is not a publisher. You're looking for a printer. I mean, there's no need to pay a lot of the fees that they will charge you in order to get your book in the print. You can arrange for your own copyright. You can get your own ISBN number. You can get your own barcode. It won't cost you a fortune. And you can do all that and then find a reliable printing company to put all that together for you. And it won't cost you that much to get somebody to design your cover if you, if you don't have artistic skills like I don't. You can find all the services you need and not bankrupt yourself and still have a book that doesn't look self-published but that is. You just have to watch yourself. Read the fine print very carefully. If you don't have any experience with a particular company, these are some things that I always mention that people should look for. If this company calls, they call, if a company calls itself a publisher, and okay, say if they if they need you to sign a contract for a certain length of time, say like a one year, two year, three year contract or what have you, but this isn't a traditional publishing company where they're going to pay you royalties or what have you. This is just one of those companies that says I can help you get your book in print. You don't want to sign a contract that, that locks you in for any kind of length of time. The company you're looking for is one that, that, will, print, that will turn your manuscript into the book form, and they're not going to try to hold you up. I mean, they're not selling you the ISBN, because if they do that, they own it, you don't. That's another way people are getting messed over. It sounds it's so much easier the way the companies will make it sound, but you can sign away a lot of your rights by mistake. Then you've got all kinds of, of trouble happening. When you do learn something new, say, okay, well, I want to switch over to this company. Like you said, you've got this company over here that you signed with first holding you hostage. And they're offering you – one of the things that really gets on my nerves is a lot of these companies, when you sign their deal, it's okay, this is how much royalty we're going to get. Wait a minute. Why are they get, offering me royalties on my book? And they're not a traditional publisher. There's something wrong with that. And a lot of companies are doing that. That's a trap that people fall into because they really – really want to get their book in print. I mean, it's okay to want to get, get your book in print, but there's a process to it, and it's not fast. You just have to be able to learn what the process is, work with it, and not rush not rush into it. I mean, if you, have an, an, if you have your manuscript completed now, it's August. I'm sorry. You're not going to have a book together by October and do it right. It's just not going to happen. You can't rush a process like that. You want to make sure it's done properly. You're only going to get one chance. So that, to make that first impression is an author, and you want to make sure it's a really good one. Awesome, 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 awesome. Right. All right, well, we thank you so much for joining us tonight. We got about a minute left in the show. We want you to give out okay. your contact information real quick. Okay. Well, my website is www. Maurice M Gray Jr. That's M A U R I C E. G-R-A-Y-J-R dot com. The, my email is writevision2000 at yahoo.com. W-R-I-T-E-V-I-S-I-O-N 2000 at yahoo.com. And those are the easiest ways to catch up to me. You can look at my website. You can see what my different works are, what kind of editing and proofreading things that I do, different workshops that I've taught, things like that. And so if there's something that a person wants advice on, if, if you see it on my website that, and you think I know what I'm talking about, feel free to reach out to me. I try to answer as many questions as possible. I don't like to see people out there floundering around and to make it benefit from some of the information that I picked up along the way. Awesome, awesome. Yes, sir. And with that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We thank you all for joining us, and we thank you, Mr. Gray, for joining us. The name of the book is called Soul of This Man. Oh, I'm sorry, The Soul of a Man. Uh-huh. And uh, we want you all to go out there and buy the book, get it at 
all the available bookstores. They'll have them. If they don't have them, call them. Tell them we need it. All right. We bid you all good evening, and we ask you that you would join us again next week. Same time, same station. Good evening, and God bless you all.